freedom, part six, okay? I titled the message, Free to Keep Going. Okay, free to keep going. Sometimes you need us to keep going. I want to free you up to keep going. Today I'm concluding the series on Galatians, and the reason why this whole series is called Freedom is because the book of Galatians is about freedom. And so if you ever need to be free, uh, go read the book of Galatians and find freedom in God's word in Galatians. All right, so Galatians chapter 6, we'll start with verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're an idiot. You are not that important. And do, you, do you notice how I added that? Okay, that's the Ricky translation. Okay. But I want to remind you that this book of Galatians is there's a tension between the people who are living under the law and living under grace. Do you remember this? There is a group of religious leaders who are trying to bring people back underneath the yoke or the bondage of the law. That you have to obtain salvation is through obedience to the law. And it's not fully just grace. And Paul's argument is it's, it's grace and it's always going to be grace and you can't fulfill the law in, in perfection to reach holiness or righteousness. So there's a grace that's a necessity. And ultimately you're saved by grace through faith. That's his whole argument in this book. And so he wants the church of Galatia to be free. A lot of these people who were in the Galatian church, Gentiles, non-Jews, were somehow being convinced that they were being tied to the law. And Paul wants to jump in and free them from that and say, no, that is not what saves you. And so Paul uses this hypothetical situation to help identify those who are legalists and those who are not. You ever been to a legalist church? Anybody ever grew up in a legalist church? It just felt legalist. Okay, we hear a lot of terms about legalism. So Paul creates this hypothetical situation. That's what this is. When he says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, the if indicates, this is just a hypothetical thing, comes and overcome by some sin, you are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back. Okay, well the word overcome indicates something that's really important when you study scripture. This is exactly what we'll talk about stuff in equip class. You have to take word studies and choose certain words and choose the right words to study that really matter a lot because the word overcome isn't necessarily a person who's habitually innocent. The same sin's reoccurring. The word overcome indicates more of like this. Uh, it caught him off guard. It came all of the sudden. It's this word that helps you understand that he's not talking about somebody who's deliberately sinning over and over again. He's talking about somebody who's just getting trapped up in a particular sin and it just came out of nowhere. That's important to understand. And in that context, another believer, a Christ follower, somebody who's saved by the grace, not under the law, will gently and humbly help that person back or restore that person to where they were. So the reason Paul uses this teaching is because nothing reveals, now listen to this, the wickedness of legalism better than the way that the legalist treats the sinner. I want you to find this, okay? If you want to know if you're in a legalistic church, if you would, or underneath legalistic teaching, just pay attention to how they treat sinners. That's the teaching that Paul is trying to make to this church in Galatia. I want you to be free from the law. I want you to experience freedom. I want you to understand what it's like to be under grace. And the way you're going to be able to discern church and Odessa, Florida, Brave Church. The way you're going to be able to discern this legalistic teaching, one way is how they treat sinners. Do they restore them humbly and gently? This is one indicator. This is what Paul is trying to do. Do you remember the Pharisees? How they treated the woman caught in adultery. What did they say? Stone her, right? Not get stoned with her. Stone her. Okay, just in case there's confusion. Some of you almost amen in me and your heart. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, but he said, uh, stoner, right? So, condemn her. So, a church that condemns sinners, he's saying, this is not the church that's underneath the grace. This is the church that's underneath the law of legalistic. So, don't fall in the trap. Because these religious leaders who were Paul's enemies 
are obviously mistreating the sinner. They're condemning them and putting more yoke on them, putting more uh, obligation on them than, than really was required for salvation. And Paul is trying to free this church. In other words, Paul is teaching the Gentiles, you will know those who are under the law, legalists, and those who are under grace, which he actually, in Galatians 5, talks about those who are led by the Spirit. These are people who are filled with the Spirit, people who are led by the Spirit. You can pay attention to the way somebody uh, deals with their brothers or sisters in Christ who are caught in sin, and you can look at that behavior and determine if that individual is led by the Spirit or if they're led by the flesh, Paul would say. Maybe you could say it this way. Somebody who's operating under grace and somebody who's operating under the law, if you want to know the difference, just look how they treat their brothers and sisters in Christ who are caught in a sin. That's one indicator. And he wants them to be free. He wants them to understand this. A spirit-led person will restore their brothers or sisters in Christ gently and humbly, while the legalist will condemn them, stone them. The legalist makes himself obviously always try to look better and make the sinner look worse. So if you ever hear preaching or teaching that's just constantly condemning and putting you down, Paul would say, stop listening to that teaching. That's not the way in which we should be operating. We operate underneath grace. Amen? Did you understand the teaching that Paul is teaching them? It's the same teaching that I'm giving you today. And as a Christ follower, as a person who is spirit-led, I want you to get the teaching in your own heart that you would become in the image of Christ as you carry out Christ in your life and as you become ambassador in Christ. I want you to think about and consider how you treat sinners. Do you puff yourself up like the man who stood at the temple and said, thank you, God, I'm not like that man? Or do you humbly and gently look to help restore that follower of Christ? Or do you go home and gossip about the person who's caught in sin? I can't believe that person been in the church. And then, and, there's a, golly, and, and then it's just a big gossip fest, and now you're caught in sin yourself. So he's saying, if you want to know if you're a Christ follower led by the Spirit, consider how you treat sinners. Especially the brother and sister who's just quickly overcome by a particular sin. That's one way to indicate if you're led by the Spirit and not led by the law or by the flesh. These Judaizers, the people that were attacking Paul, were always boasting about themselves. They were bragging about their achievements and their ministry statuses. Paul's had enough of it. You ever seen people brag about their stuff in a way that just seems a little weird? They brag on their achievements. And Paul's relating this. Of course, the context here is ministry. So you're going to hear some teaching in more regards to the ministry arena. But you could certainly apply this to lots of arenas in life. But he's really focusing on the, 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 the ministry arena. Does that make sense? So we're going to call it the ministry, uh, kind of from the angle of an or, uh, a career path. Okay, Underneath the umbrella of ministry, Paul's identifying some things. These people are always bragging about their ministries. This is what he's getting at. And he's trying to help his church make sure that they follow the right teachers. So he says, pay careful attention to your own work. For then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to be, compare yourself to anyone. We talked about comparison in the beginning of the series. For we, who, we are each responsible for our own conduct. Paul is teaching Don't compare your work in the kingdom to someone else's work in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for comparison. There is no room for competition in the kingdom of God. And yet, many Christ followers today, we do this. We can find ourselves in these conversations bragging about how our church is better than another brother or sister's church. And Paul says, in the kingdom of God, No room for that. And people in the church, in the church of Galatia, are being misled by these Judaizers who are bragging about their ministries and their works and their achievements. And Paul's like, 
that is not an individual who's led by the Spirit. They're led by something else. So he's trying to wisen them up, if you would. The kingdom of God is not a competition against one another. A Christian's only competition, I wrote this down in my notes. You should write this down too. Ready? You got pens and paper right there in front of you and your phone. So I'm sure you have many ways to write this down. I think this will help you in every area of your life when I say this sentence. I really do. A Christian's only competition is sin and Satan. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, you don't wage war against each other. The war is against the principalities and powers of darkness. So, I want to remind you today that your competition in life is sin and Satan. That's the only thing you're competing against. Do not compete against one another in the kingdom or in work. Compete against sin and Satan. Win there. If you're going to focus your energy on where to compete, make sure you're winning against sin and Satan. That is the greatest victory you'll ever have in your life. Many people are competitive. Any competitive people in the house? Come on. Maybe we should do like a shouting competition. See how competitive you really are. You'll find out really quick. And, uh, you know, who's really competitive? Anybody have a competitive spouse? Your spouse is competitive? Just raise your hand. Are any, of you, yeah. Are any of you so competitive against what your spouse is that you can't play board games like me and my wife because you'll just get mad and go to bed angry? Have you ever done this? Me and my wife did this. We play board games sometimes and get mad at each other. We don't even talk going to bed. <laughs> That's happened. I know. Competitiveness. Anyways. I win most of the time. And, and then I really lose because we don't, you know, going to bed. So, One way to know if you have the wrong spirit operating in you is you have a hard time celebrating other kingdom work successes. And that's good for me to hear because Paul is trying to get at, I want you to be filled with the spirit. Remember in Galatians 5, he said the fruit of the spirit, joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And one of the ways he wants these Christians in Galatia to understand is, I don't want you to get caught up in competing against other people's kingdom. If you can't celebrate the successes of other people, you have a spirit problem. It's a problem in your spirit, and I want you to work with that. There is nothing wrong, by the way, with putting numbers out there. So as our church or churches put numbers, no. But what he's saying is be careful to fall into a trap that uh, you're doing that with the wrong motive, the wrong heart, the wrong intention behind it. And it can easily become a bragging tool. Okay. In ministry, I have been in many conversations over the past 14 years of ministry where one of the first questions pastors will ask themselves is how many people do you got? What numbers are you running? And there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's not going over into a bragging fest. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going to give you, because I want to teach you real stuff so that you like, okay, I, I see this in real practical world, how that works. I've spoken with different churches who call different churches who aren't operating at their highest. And those, I shouldn't say those. And some particular churches can call other churches trying to not really help them, but to dominate them, control them, and kill them so that they can then take their converts and bring them up underneath their own thing in the name of ours is better. In other words, I've received phone calls from people saying, how are you doing over there? Can we come in and take over you? That's a real thing. Like, that happens. And I don't think that's what really glorifies the kingdom. The way churches should operate, amen, is like this. And then you can amen it if you want to. If they see another church struggling, how can I come alongside of you and help you go up? Not how can I take you, 
bring you under me and actually eventually shove you out. So now I've expanded my ministry. If you're in ministry, or if you've ever been in ministry, you understand what I'm talking about. Paul says, those people are not led by the Spirit. Those people are led by something else. So, be careful. And he's even warning, if you're going to help another church, be careful in how you approach it. He's just trying to help his followers, uh, the followers of Christ that he's taught and he's coached to make sure that they are living the life that God has called them to live. That's his whole heart. Now Paul turns to an uncomfortable verse for me to teach on. This might be the most uncomfortable message I'm about to bring to you in this verse. I wanted to skip it so badly, but I couldn't because it's verse 6 and I've got to get to verse 7. And I thought, well, I can leave it out, but then whatever, here we go. Those who are taught the word of God, and you're going to understand why this is so weird for me to teach on, but here it is. Because Paul, he's going to get to something. Those who are taught the word of God, remember the title of the message, don't forget, free to keep going. Okay, so you got to remember the title of the message, but don't give up. So he's going to lean all the way into this idea of not giving up, but he's got to ramp himself into it. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers. Come on, church, amen. Told you, man, it gets kind of comfortable. Sharing good things with them. Remember, sharing is the mark of a true Christ follower. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, right, in the beginning of the church, they all shared with one another. Paul in Romans 15, by the way, verse 27, you can go look it up. Romans 15, 27, he makes another point that the church should provide for their teachers. The workers do of their wages. Now he's teaching his church. Hey, I want to remind you, here's how you know, watch this, a spirit-led church and a church that's led by their flesh. You got to remember the contrast. It's all one big book called Galatians. So the topic is still the same. I want you to be a free church. I don't want you to be a church that's not free. I want you to be a church that's under grace, under the Spirit, and led by the Spirit, not a church that's led by the flesh. And one way you're going to know that is through generosity. Now, it's one indicator. There's many indicators, but this is one indicator. So he starts with the church saying, you should make sure that you buy your pastor new shoes and give him whatever he wants. And No. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing good things with them. We share these things in common, by the way, don't we? Now watch. And he's going to get more than just material stuff. We share things in common, me and you. Our faith. Our fellowship. And our suffering. As a Christ follower, I suffer and so do you. And, and, and I struggle with faith and so do you. And we share in our fellowship and we do life together, and, and this is the way we share in all good things. So, there's more than just material things that should be shared. It's a piece of it, but it's not all of it. We're going to find that out as he wraps up in verse 10 in just a minute. Why does Paul say this? Why would he bring this statement up in verse 6? Why? Right? Because he is teaching the difference of those who are led by the Spirit and those who are led by the flesh. He teaches you. Now listen to this. Okay, my microphone got all to it. Okay. He teaches this because I want you to understand the difference between a church that's led by the Spirit and a church that's led by the flesh. That's his whole point. And he wants them to understand this. You'll know the difference of the church that's led by the Spirit the teacher that's led by the Spirit, hence the church that's led by the Spirit, versus the church that's led by the flesh, versus the teachers that are led by the flesh, under the law and under grace, by what they value. It's about value. It's about what you value. Remember what we do with the material things? He's saying, remember, what we do with material things is evidence of how we value spiritual things. 
You value spiritual things or you wouldn't be here. And you used material things to get here. Right? I mean, you drove to church today. Gas. Money. Right? Material things. Seats, things you paid for, things you invested in. As a church, many of you gave towards our office offering the $10,100 we raised. I said, we have a goal of getting 10000 We felt like that's what we really needed legitimately to get it. We actually went over it just a little bit by what we ended up having to spend, but we, we were able to do it. And you did that because I believe we're a spirit-led church because we value these things. But here's the indicator. If you gave nothing to it, now watch. Now watch what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. And I'm not saying you're not saved. Is that clear? So don't be trying to come back to me. You're trying to say I'm not saved if I didn't give to it. No, I'm not saying you're not saved. What I am saying is, you may not be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Not that you don't have the spirit because you get that when you get Christ. But I'm talking about living a life led by the spirit. Maybe say it that way. Led by the spirit. Is that better teaching? You're led by the spirit. The, the spirit of God will never lead you to not be generous. I prayed about this and the Lord said, give nothing. Wrong. Is that more clear? Okay, I didn't hear a lot of amens. Which means I'm usually preaching pretty good. So amen to myself again. Paul wants his church to be a spirit-led church. And I'm telling you, I want you to be a spirit-led church. I want us to be a spirit-led church. You know what that means? We tap into what the spirit wants for our lives. And we get led by him. And the spirit will always lead us to joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like he will, he will lead us in this way. And the spirit of God will always lead you towards generosity, never away from it. Do you know why? Because Christ is generous. He is generous when he gave his life for you and for me. So when we're led by the spirit, we're generous. That's what he's probing on. Do you think the people, the Judaizers, were led by the Spirit? No, they weren't. He says, no, they're not. They're led by the flesh. So you know one way to know that they're led this way? Because they're not generous. They're not generous. These guys who are leading these churches aren't generous themselves. They accumulate for themselves and they give nothing. That's the teaching. But it applies to every person in the church. So he's pushing on this church. He's saying, you should give. Because it's a sign of being a church that's spirit-led or led by the Spirit. That's what I meant earlier when I said by filled by the Spirit. I can already hear it now, an email coming in. So what I'm saying to you is that it's not that you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. I'm more saying to you that you're not led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, when you don't give to God's wife. That's his whole teaching here. Doesn't Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you value in the spiritual realm and spiritual things is often revealed by what you do with your physical assets. And also what you do with your time. You know, many people gave time to this office building, to this place in here, set up, tear down, volunteering, serving in children's ministry, ban, all the things that go on, giving their time. You know what what that means? For oftentimes, you're being led by the Spirit. Remember, Paul also said, when you're led by the Spirit, we also suffer in the Spirit. Like we suffer, we share in sufferings in that. He's just teaching this church what it is to be free. He actually expands on this some more, and he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. And then he makes this fascinating statement, you will always harvest what you plant. That's a principle throughout Scripture, the principle of sowing and reaping. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, he's talking about those religious leaders, those Judaizers, will harvest decay and death for their sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit, they're led by the Spirit, they're Spirit-filled, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Paul wasn't saying the motive should be to meet the teacher's needs. Did you hear me? 
In verse 6, when I just told you that it's to share with the person who teaches you, he's not saying meet every single need, send me on every vacation that I want to go on, buy me a plane. If you want to buy me a plane, I'll take it, but you don't have to. Amen? I just want you to know, if you buy me a plane, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say okay. <laughs> All right? Okay. Does that make sense? I mean, some people get beat up for having planes as pastors. I'm like, well, how do you know that somebody didn't buy them the plane? If somebody bought you a plane, no, 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 thanks. I'm good. You're right. Anyways, you don't know how they got the plane. Don't judge them. Amen? Yeah. Some of you are convicted right now. I just talked about that guy yesterday who had a plane. Okay. That's why he throws out the principle of sowing reaping. Listen, 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 listen. Paul wasn't teaching the motive should be to meet the teacher's needs and every single need that they want or have, okay? Rather, it was to receive a greater blessing. Now, listen to the teaching of Paul. The reason he throws out the principle in sowing and reaping is for you. He adds in the principle of sowing and reaping when he talks about being generous to their teachers because the more generous they are, the more they will reap the harvest. And he doesn't want the church to deny themselves of a greater spiritual blessing. Because whatever you sow, you reap. Now that's the teaching he's giving them. This is the law of God, sowing and reaping. If you sow wheat, you will get wheat. Okay, not everybody gets the teaching, obviously. If you sow cotton, you will get... There we go. We got 50% there. Give me another crop. Corn. If you sow corn, you will get... Almost. Give me another crop. Soybean. If you soy... So, soy. If you sow soybeans, you'll get... All right. There we go. We got everybody now. So what you sow is what you reap. Now think about the teaching of what he's trying to get at. What's Paul getting at? Money sown to the flesh will reap a harvest of the flesh. So when you sow your money into the flesh and teachers of the flesh, you'll get a harvest of corruption. You ever seen a corrupt teacher of God's word? And you're like, that's wrong. And they end up in prison. Watch this. His teaching is when you sow your seed to a teacher who's led by the flesh, eventually all the seed you sowed will end up in corruption and decay and death. In other words, don't give to these Judaizers. Don't give to these people who are trying to entangle you into the law. That's his heart. If you sow seed into that type of ministry, it will reap the harvest of it. Because what you sow is what you reap. It's his whole heart. Money sown to the Spirit, however. Money sown to environments that are led by the Spirit will reap a harvest of spiritual things, eternal life, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, like all these things like these. So so wisely. What you sow is what you reap. Okay. Please, don't go to a church congregation. Sit under a teacher's teaching. Sow nothing into that church and complain about the teaching you're receiving. If you ever leave Brave Church and you go somewhere else, do not criticize the teacher that you haven't supported to help him do better teaching. That would be like removing 
finances to those who protect you and ask them to do a better job at protecting you. Oh, no. Well, I got political real quick. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. So, what he's saying is, make sure when you sit under the teaching that's led by the Spirit, give according to the Spirit, so that you receive a better blessing because of it. Gosh, man. The heart, obviously, for me in the church is big, of course. I mean, I spend my life to this thing. So, of course, it bothers me when people don't contribute to the local church. Why wouldn't it? I just want you to consider for a minute, just think about it. If every believer would only see their money as seed and planted, if it's planted properly, properly is a very key word, if it was planted properly, there would be no lack, I believe, in the work of the Lord. There would be no lack in the work of God if the seed that you have, the material resources, was actually sown properly. Many people don't give because of some false teachers. Somebody did end in corruption, etc., etc., etc. And many people don't give to the local church because of some man who was corrupted. Just because there's a corrupt dude out there, or lady, okay? Do that. Uh, just because there's some corruption... Does it mean they're all corrupt? Paul's point is, there. no, no. There are corrupt teachers out there. There are. So be careful. That would be Paul's teaching. Here's how you'll know. And then he gives the indicators that we just talked about. And then he says, but when you find a spirit-led church, a, a, a spirit-led teacher, here's how you're going to know. Here's what it means to be spirit-led. Here's what it means to be free of the spirit. Not a legalistic church, but a church under grace. When you get into this realm, give. Why? So we don't hinder the work of the Lord. This is a good work. And then he makes it, because he knew people would panic about money. It's always about money. So he's like, I know you're thinking it's all about money. And he's like, no, 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 no. This isn't just about money. It's more than money actually. God requires of us our best in all areas of our life. So, he continues on in this teaching. His point is we will reap whatever we sow. If you have a church who has a dollar, guess how much ministry they can do? A dollar's worth. Go save every child hungry, you know. We raised a dollar. How many children can you feed with a dollar? A dollar's worth. But if you raise a million, you help more children get fed. Do you see the teaching? Whatever you sow is what you reap. What kind of church do we want to be? Now, I, want you to think, I really want you to reflect on this. The community of fellowship that we call Brave here, which wants you to internally think, what type of church do you want to be a part of? One that's one that's one that reaps a small harvest, a large harvest. Whatever you sow, this is the promise, you'll reap. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. It's true. You can't escape it. Many of you gave a lot towards that ten thousand dollar building. And we will sow according to what, we will reap according to what we sowed. And look at the ministry that's going to come out of that office place. It's just a small example. The ministry that will come out of it. The relationships, the connections, the friendships, the counseling, the ministry. I say thank you, by the way. And I don't want an applause. I'm saying thank you. Thank you for being a church that's led by the Spirit. That's why we invite you to contribute and participate in those things. Thank you. And if we sow much, we reap much. If all you sowed was one row of corn, you get one row of corn. That's his teaching. Why? He wants them to be a blessed church. He wants Galatia to be a blessed church. So he says, sow much, reap much. 
This is not a teaching about if you sow, you'll get more money. That's a whole other issue that people have. Well, does that mean the more I sow, the more money I get back? Wrong motivation. No, you're sowing to the kingdom of God and the work of the Lord. And the reward sometimes is in the flesh, like we get it right here in the world. And sometimes the reward isn't until many years later, called eternity. All right. The believer who sows to the Spirit and walks in the Spirit will reap a spiritual harvest. If the sowing is generous, so will be the harvest. Just please don't ever go to a church and complain about the pastor that you never even supported. That's all I'm asking. Does that make sense? What sense does that make? You're doing nothing to contribute to the ministry. That's why we say we're contributors. We're not spectators here. Why would we want to show up and spectate? What good does that do? Contribute to the pile and still don't complain. Okay, here we go. Paul's enemies didn't carry this attitude toward giving. Here's, here's the point. These false teachers didn't carry this attitude toward giving and receiving. They were complete opposite. They were not givers themselves. If, if you want to talk about what I give, call me. Take me for coffee. I'll buy. And then I can talk to you about what I give. His point is, these guys aren't givers. Just, just acknowledge his point. If you want to follow the right spirit-led teacher, just are they generous or are they not generous? Are they generous? And if they are, that's an indicator they're led by the spirit. These legalistic teachers were simply trying to promote their own schemes and fill their own pockets. Then Paul adds to the promise of this statement. This is where we're going to wrap up. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We'll reap a harvest of blessing. The harvest is blessing if we don't give up. It's a powerful verse, and behind it is a great warning. It reveals what can happen if we do grow weary in the work of the Lord, which eventually will lead to giving up. Here's the warning. I want to give you two things that leads to getting tired and doing the work of the Lord. Number one, lack of devotion. Okay, what is Paul teaching? I don't want you to give up. I want you to be free not to give up. I don't want you to give up. And here's the warning. If you give up, you're going to lose the harvest that God has for you. So don't give up. And I want to give you two practical things that happen and what leads to Christians giving up in the work of the Lord. Number one, lack of devotion. In other words, Jesus is not the motivation for the work. Jesus was not the motivation of these Judaizers. Their own pockets were. Their own bragging rights were. And when something is substituted for Christ as a motivation for what you do, you're headed in the wrong direction. And eventually, you'll grow weary and tired and give up. Do everything as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for any other reason. The moment your work becomes about you, you're headed to weariness and tiredness. Many people operate and they work exhaustingly and tiredly and they hate their jobs and hate their work and oh, I hate my job and I hate my work. Then why in the world do you do it? Because it puts a lot of money in my pocket. That's why you're growing weary in your work. But when the purpose of the work is the Lord and only the Lord, you don't grow weary in that work. So if you want to know the secret of not giving up in your faith and growing tired in your faith, just ask yourself the question, why is it that you're even operating in faith in the beginning? Like, what's the, what's the first love? Remember the church that God talks about in Revelation chapter 2, the church that lost its first love? It's the first love. It's a lack of devotion. Jesus isn't, listen, if Jesus isn't your motivation to the work of the Lord, you will grow tired. If you are tired and working and serving in the Lord, ask yourself, have you lost your first love? The reason I'm doing this is for Christ and for no other reason. The reason I serve, the reason I give, the reason I contribute is for the Lord and no other reason. The moment you make it about another reason, you are headed to tiredness, exhaustion, and eventually you will give up. When people in church say, I'm tired, I'm burned out, the first question you can ask yourself is, is the reason I'm doing this for the Lord? And the chances are it's lost its way and you started to do it for another reason. 
People do it for their spouses. People do it for their friends. People do it for their family. Teenagers in youth ministry, I watched it all the time. They would do the church thing for their parents and eventually their faith would grow faint. Why? Because it wasn't for the Lord. It was to please the mom. It was to please the dad. And eventually the faith lost its way. What Paul is saying is church in Galatia, Bray Church family, if you want to be a church that's led by the Spirit, know this, you'll be tempted to give up. And when you're tempted to give up, ask yourself the question, where is my devotion? If it's to the Lord, it'll keep me strong. It'll keep me from not giving up. Number two, lack of prayer. Luke 18.1 says, you pray at all times. You, you, you keep up the prayer in your life. You, you pray, and, and if, you, if you pray, Luke 18, 1 says, you won't grow faint. Prayer is essential. Prayer is, to the spiritual life, what breath is to the physical life. You have to pray. You pray at all times. If you're growing tired and weary in the work of the Lord, how is your prayer life? In other words, how are you breathing? If I ask you, how's your bodily function? And you were holding your breath, you wouldn't last long. Some of you at best, 30 seconds. Maybe some of you a little more, you got like a minute in you. How many of you would last three minutes with holding your breath? Go try, ready? Let's go, three minutes. People start falling over. And yet you go months without prayer. And you expect to be thriving in the spirit. How? Because you have actually come to believe that the spirit led, led life, this idea that what Jesus taught when he said, you cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. So when was the last time you got a word from God? If you don't get words from God, you can't live. Gosh, my heart hurts for you. Andrews, we're wrapping up. Would you come up here for just a minute? My heart hurts for you and for me. Because just think in church. You can't be a spirit-filled church if you don't have prayer. Prayer is a necessity. If you're getting tired in the work of the Lord, he's just saying, prayer will be an, I'm telling you, prayer is a massive indicator. How's your prayer life? Most of the time you heard from the Lord. If you are hurt, if you get God's word and get nourishment in your body, nourishment in your soul, nourishment in your mind, listen, you have to eat every day God's word. I have found I have to eat sometimes hours a day or and even when I'm, when I'm working this or doing this, it doesn't, I've got to continually keep the prayer in my mind because I don't know about you, but I have to convince myself not to give up every day in the Christian walk. Now, I know some of you are like gurus in the faith. You're like, I never even think about giving up my faith. But this one right here, this guy, all the time. I think about giving up on my faith all the time. All the time. Sometimes, many times in a day. Some days I walk into work to do the work of the Lord and I'm like, I really don't want to do this right now. then I go and I pray. I spent five minutes and I hear the word of the Lord. And oftentimes I have found that Jesus gives me just enough to get through the next, now watch this, this is true for me, the next hour. Sometimes it's the next day or maybe a couple of days. But I don't know of a time that I've ever prayed, heard from God and I thought, well, that'll last me about nine months. That's great. Thank you, Lord. One of the reasons why people burn out in the work of the Lord and you burn out in ministry and you burn out in volunteering and you burn out in giving and you burn out in sowing is simply because you haven't prayed in a while. And I don't mean you didn't pray for dinner. I'm talking about spending time with the Lord until you hear from Him. He says, don't give up. You'll reap the harvest. Paul says, there is a time period the seed we plant doesn't always harvest immediately. The Lord is the Lord of the harvest, not the laborers. Paul teaches 
That's such a, gosh, that's a whole message about time, isn't it? You don't get to determine when the strawberries come up. God does. Paul teaches them, knowing there will be thoughts of giving up, but he says, don't, don't give up. He comes back to verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. So this isn't just about materializing money. You should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Paul, a family of faith. Paul is teaching sharing involves way more than just giving money. It involves doing, doing good to all men. It's not just the words of the teachers that help reach people for the gospel of Christ. It's also the works of those who are taught. It's the works of you. It's the labor that goes into it. It's all together. It helps reach people who don't know Christ. Helps reach people who are under the law, not under grace. His message is clear. Don't give up. I wish I could tell you I've had only one time in my life. I've only been told this once. But the truth is, I have to be told this every single day. Every week, I think about giving up something. All right. Giving up working out. Giving up eating healthy. Giving up work. Giving up on parenting, amen? Anybody was like, I'm just done parenting. You ever been there before? You ever been thought, forget it. Just forget it. Somebody else take care of these kids. I don't know, I'm done. Your marriage. Have you ever been tempted to give up on your marriage? My hand is up. I said tempted. I didn't say I'm going to. I said tempted. Be careful, don't go tell Rick. He's thinking about leaving you. I'm not leaving my wife. I said tempted. Has anyone ever been tempted? See, some of you don't want to, you don't want to have conversations. That's why you're not raising your hand. Because the moment you get, she sees you raise your hand, you're like, oh, Lord, here goes the lunch conversation. What happened? When did you do this? At what point in time? Was it the other night when I was wearing that? Just because I don't wear makeup? You know, I don't know. I can see it. How many of you have ever been tempted to walk out on your marriage or walk out on your family? Tempted. The thought passed through your mind. Many of us. But by the grace of God, you would, no way, Amen. All kinds of temptations every day. He says, don't give up. For some, it's your relationship with God. You ever thought about giving up on your relationship with God? You ever thought about giving up on your relationship with God? Just forget all of this. Maybe I got it all wrong. Maybe I just, I got this all wrong. I'm not seeing the payoff yet. Maybe I didn't hear from the Lord. Maybe that wasn't God. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I'd just be better off if I just gave up and did something else. You ever been there? Maybe I'd be better off if I just tried something different. Only me. Paul says, Mm-mm. don't give up. You'll reap the harvest if you don't give up. So when you're tempted to give up, don't give up. We're in staff meeting this week and Andrew's made a great statement. He said, if the devil can't get you to quit, he'll just lead you to believe that you're losing. That's a pretty good word. And I took that and I was like, I'm going to tell the church that. If the devil can't get you to quit, he'll just lead you to believe you're losing. Many of you today Let's go to prayer. Many of you today believe that you're losing. You're losing your children. You're losing the battle. You're losing your way. You're losing your faith. And all you've been hearing all past couple, and this isn't just like a couple of days. For some of you, it's been a couple of months. You just feel like you've been a season of losing. For some of you, it's been a year. It's been two years. A season of losing. I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. It's like pests are coming and taking out your crops that you've planted and it's like everything's dying. And all you hear is how you're losing. You can't do it. You're not going to accomplish that. Might as well give up. Yeah, you sowed, but the harvest isn't here. All these things that try to get you to believe that you're losing. Because Satan knows if I can convince you long enough you're losing, eventually you'll just give up. And yet, you need to be reminded of God's truth today, church. There is only one Lord, and He is Lord of the harvest. He is Lord of the harvest. 
he determines when it grows and when it sits in soil. And when he is ready, he will spring forth the life that you have so desperately longed for, the marriage, the children. Keep praying for them, mom. Keep praying for them, dad. Don't give up. Don't give up the prayer fight, fighting for your children's faith. Do not ever grow weary. Oh, it's too late. He's 40. He's not going to turn to the Lord now. It's over. There is victory on the cross. Jesus has already won. So all Satan can do is convince you that you're losing. You need to remind Satan today, Satan, I want you to tell Satan today this. Would you just join with me and tell Satan right where you are about whatever area of your life that you've been feeling like you're losing? Would you just remind Satan right now to his face in spiritual realm? Would you just envision him right in front of you and say, Satan, truth is, you have lost. Satan, you are the one who's the loser. Can you just tell Satan with freedom, you're the one that's lost. Christ has overcome. He who is inside of me is greater than he who is in the world. I can accomplish all things through Christ who gives me strength. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than I could ever think, ask, or imagine, this is the truth. This is God's word. I will not cease in the work of the Lord. I will continue to be led by the Spirit. I'm devoted to him. He is mine. I work for him and him alone. And so I will pursue the things that Christ has called me to. And I will fulfill the things that I have in my heart to accomplish. For Christ is with me. And if he is with me, nothing can stand against me. For when my spirit is weak, his spirit soars inside of me and it strengthens me and I rise to the occasion because of my God who goes before me. Church, you've got to get into your word that you would have the sword to fight off Satan's temptations with, that you would be led by the Spirit, that you'd be free to not give up. I come today to free you, to free you from the temptation to quit. And instead, I say to you, in faith and in Christ, do not give up. For if you do not give up, you will reap the harvest. Continue to sow. Continue to get up. Continue to grind. And Christ will see you through. In Jesus' name, amen.